Good morning. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. I'm sure you've heard the old cliche, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. But my guests today say that's not necessarily so, especially among women in the African-American community. Giuliani Gomez is a Lincoln Center senior at Fordham University. She's writing a paper called She Ratchet, Policing African-American Women. In it, she discusses some derogatory names that have been adopted as a way for young African-Americans to police, embarrass, and degrade each other. Joining us is Dr. Amy Cox, a cultural anthropologist and assistant professor of performance in African and African-American studies at Fordham. So, uh, <laughs> Giuliani, what does the term ratchet mean? And why did you choose to write your paper about its effect on African-American females? The thing about ratchet is it's a word that is so broad. I mean, I have my own definition of ratchet or what I think is ratchet, which for me is just like a, a person that's like overly ghetto and mm -hmm. it's a gendered um, definition, which usually refers to women, sometimes to men. It's sexual. And um, I've actually begun researching some young high school kids during this past week about their definitions of ratchet. And they're all very different, but similar in the same way. And what which, are some of the similarities? Um, some of the similarities is that it, usually refers to women and particularly women of color. Some of my kids have told me that it refers to both African-American women and Latinas. I've had one person specifically say, no, it's just about African-American women. And there are different terms that describe different races. So it's also a racialized term. So there's still kind of an uncertainty about specifically what yes. a ratchet girl is. Yes. So could you describe like if you saw one, what would one look like? Well, I think the best way to describe it is to um, bring in some YouTube parody videos of, you know, what Ratchet is. Um, there's a really popular video out right now called the Ratchet Girl Anthem, mm -hmm. which is what inspired me to write my paper. Um, one of my classmates, we were actually just like really befuddled about what are we going to do for this project. Then somebody asked, oh, what's Ratchet? And um, one person in the class was like, oh, wait, I got this. And it showed us the Ratchet Girl Anthem video. And what's funny about it, it was uh, two black men dressed in drag they were both dressed as women depicting ratchet women and um one of them had a, a faux pregnant belly and a jersey dress and you know the long nails and a long purple wig and the other one had short hair but she had bangs so she was always like flipping it got my jersey dress on jordan heels match my press on pow team dark skin you don't like them red balls the characteristics of a ratchet girl um according to the people that i've interviewed is somebody that's very loud is quote unquote out there. I'm still trying to figure out what like, out there to, means. Out there means somebody that like um, puts their sexuality out there. That's part of what it is. Um, somebody that likes to get into fights. And those are, you know, some of the more common characteristics. So is it somebody who also, and uh, Amy, you can jump in here too if you want to help explain it. So is it someone who's uneducated? The word uneducated never came up in any okay. of my interviews. What did come up is somebody that was of low socioeconomic status. Okay. Usually someone poor or as one of my kids say, said, lives in the ghetto. All yeah. right. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of getting an idea or our image that this person is is probably a poor African-American, possibly Latino, not sure. Mm -hmm. They're loud. They dress kind of flamboyantly yeah. and short dresses. They kind of throw their sexuality out yes. there. Right. And I think it's really interesting when um, Giuliani brought up the topic, immediately I thought of how ghetto is used in the same way, so broadly used by so many different people. But there is the common understanding that you are talking about something that is tied to blackness. 
Mm-hmm. And you're talking about something that is tied to both race and class and usually black poverty. And so to me, Ratchet takes ghetto to a whole other level. And I think it's interesting to think about what is happening politically, what is happening in our social life when these words like ghetto and ratchet really start to take hold. I don't think it's any coincidence that ratchet, which is really directly tied in a more a more gendered female sense, and I would say a young black woman, Yeah, it I think it's directly tied to what we're seeing in terms of sort of this post, supposed post-racial hostilities towards black youth. And so I think there's ways that we can tie how language is used to make the way certain people in our society are subjugated and abused and violated to make it okay because these terms then turn those events and those structures in on themselves and make it more about individuals. Did you want to comment? Oh, yeah. No, I actually, um, the part where Amy mentioned about how Ratchet is very gendered, I think it's really important because um, as of, so far I've only interviewed boys, um, Latino boys, and every time they're describing Ratchet, it's always a woman. And when I've tried to ask them, to so give me examples of maybe of a man that's ratchet. It could be a celebrity or you could just give me a hypothetical situation. And I had two of them give me rappers like Chief Keef, Rick Ross, and uh, this new guy, All Gold and Two Chains? Oh, Two Chains and I now, Trinidad I know. James. Trinidad James. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they're um, uh, equivalent to a male ratchet? Yes. But the thing about. The but examples, they're not called that. They, they are called that. Like their actions and their persona is called ratchet. But what I found interesting is that these men are part of like a celebrity culture and they're kind of idolized and they're kind of like a hmm. hyper, like I want to say almost like of a parody of something that's ratchet because it's like these kids, they separate like their rap persona from who they really are because I asked them, you know, on a, it, let's say you, you met Rick Ross. And you like, mean one of the people that you interviewed, one of the men that you yes, interviewed about the, the term, you asked them about the term. He's like, no, like he's not ratchet. It's just like when he's acting as this, rap persona that he shows signs of ratchetness but the real ratchetness is the girl that goes to the club and likes to get into fight with people that likes to confront people that likes to twerk well that's really interesting then this is this is fascinating and i you know even though giuliani is my student Mm -hmm. we haven't really so there a lot of the students are still very much deep in the research process Mm -hmm. what is fascinating to me about this is the way that we can think about gender and about commodification right and about celebrity identity so the African-American young woman gets to really be authentically ratchet. Like, she is truly ghetto and ratchet and debased. Whereas Rick Ross, a male celebrity, high-profile rapper, really isn't authentically ratchet but can make money off of a ratchet persona. Yeah. Right? So he can be seen in the in the wider mainstream culture as performing ratchetness, and then ratchetness becomes something that people want to buy and becomes this commodity that's profitable. Whereas the real authentically ratchet person is these, this debased young woman who supposedly is living in the ghetto. The term takes on a whole other dimension. I think it's really fascinating. And the fact that these young men can see that and would say, oh, no, Rick Ross isn't really ratchet. He's just performing ratchetness. So that was my question. So if you if you as a man are called you don't you're not really called ratchet. You say you're ratchet like and it's almost something that they admire. But when it's an African-American woman who might authentically be, quote unquote, lower on the socioeconomical you know, scale, who might be louder than most, it's seen as something derogatory. Yes, it's seen as something negative. And that's something I asked the few young men that I've interviewed. Is 
ratchet something that is inherently negative? Like, can it ever be empowering or something positive? And they said, absolutely not. When it's referring to a woman or in general? When it's referring to a woman. But when it's referring to a man, there's a possibility that it can be seen, as Amy was saying, profitable, so therefore positive. Well, the thing that's also important about these young men is that I like to call them transplants. The majority of them were born and raised in New York, but now they live in this small suburb in Bergen County, New Jersey, where the majority of the population is white. And from what I've seen and what I've heard and experienced, These suburban spaces eat up this ratchet culture. What I'm hearing with that is, do they even know about real ratchet culture or are they just here or is all through hearsay? Well, that's the interesting thing, because I I also asked them, when was the first time you heard this term being used? And the three or four boys that I've interviewed told me that they heard it like at least like. As far back as last summer. So it's relatively new. Relative, it's a very new term. Because I've um, never heard of it yeah. until actually I started reading your paper. <laughs> yes, I heard of it because my brother's, actually my brother is one of the people that I interviewed. My younger brother, he's in high school and I heard him use it. And I'm just like, oh, right. like, what is this? And now right. it's all over the place. I was telling yeah. Giuliani, I saw a young man on the subway with, with a hat, a baseball cap that said ratchet on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there's this there's also this sense of sort of claiming it as, I, I don't know if I would go as far as to say it's an empowered identity. I would have to ask that young man or people who are using ratchet and I think that's part of what you're looking at Giuliani people who are calling themselves ratchet or calling other young women like them ratchet and I'm just really curious about the kind of work that that does language is so powerful and when we think about language and culture it's also important to think about who is saying who is using the term what does it mean for these young men in the suburb of New Jersey to not really kind of have a sense or connection to what ratchet is, but to be using the term and to find it either compelling or titillating or whatever they find interesting about the term. And to be a young African-American woman who, let's say, lives in the Bronx, who's called that and calls herself that. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about not only the use of the term, but what does it mean, the different consequences for being labeled that? So to be able to play with the term like Rick Ross can because of his gender. So he can play with the term and also make money off of it. So these young men can use the term and and can kind of maybe get some street cred from using the term. Whereas a young black woman in the Bronx, that term doesn't really do anything for her. But allow the disempowerment that happens in her life to look like it's her fault. If a man is on the subway and like you said, he has the hat and you might call him ratchet, he may or may not respond. If a woman, if you call a woman, hey, you're ratchet, is that something she is going to be offended by or is that something that she might embrace or do we not know yet because it's so new? I don't think we know yet. Like that was actually one of my interview questions. But as I said, I've I've only interviewed young men at this point. And they said, well, you know, we're not ratchet. So if someone called us ratchet, like we just like laugh and then shrug it off. But um, I, I think it depends on the person like where they're at in their life, whether, you know, that young woman would shrug it off and laugh at it, whether they would react, you know, in a negative or maybe lash out in a violent way or just be like, hey, yeah, you know what? I'm ratchet. I'm I don't act like people that act in a social norm. I'm unique. So, Amy, um, what does that statement say about how someone claims who they are? Mm -hmm. So ratchet is seen as a negative term by some people. But if I own it, does that help me because I'm moving forward with the idea that I'm going to claim this and be strong about it? Or in some ways, is that hurting me because I'm not seeing socially how it's making me appear to other people? 
Right. And I, you know, I think it's debatable. I mean, I, I, what I would say is that it's not empowering. This is what I would say if, uh, from my personal standpoint. But I, what I think is most interesting about your question, Robin, and what Giuliani is finding from her informant is that this is really not new. So even though we can say mm-hmm. the term ratchet, people are starting to develop an awareness about the term maybe as, as early as last summer. There's a whole history of the way these yes. tropes and, and terms have been used, particularly as it relates to black female identity. So we can talk about the mammy, the matriarch, the welfare queen, the Jezebel, the hood rat, mm-hmm. the um, the hoe, the video hoe, all these ways that these terms are specifically directed at black women, particularly black women who are seen to be living in poverty, who are living in challenging conditions, and they do a very specific type of work. They've always been very... Um, competent in the type of cultural and political work that they do. So when Giuliani proposed this topic to look at Ratchet, I had some friends of mine say, well, is that really a, a worthy topic of study? I said, of course it is. And I right. would say, I'm, you know, we there's also a history need to, to there's it. a history to it. And what we need to understand, particularly in a class that is looking at cultural and social change and is looking at urban communities and is looking at how people not only are shaped by their environment, but shape their environment. We have to understand how language is used such a, as a powerful tool in all of this. So it is not just that people, oh, it's kind of negative, And if someone calls me ratchet, my feelings are hurt. It is that that term has morphed from Sapphire, from Jezebel, to be yet another, even more specific and more degrading way that we can think about talking about black women. And what that does, uh, it, it does so much destructive work in so many different realms. So we can talk about how these terms influence the way that people develop ideas about a whole population of, of people, and how then that impacts the way that these young women are treated in schools, how that impacts the way that they design and think about their ability to succeed and achieve in school, beyond school, how they think about what's possible in their lives, how the ways that it impacts how policies are determined, right? The way that on a state level, a local level, even a federal level, um, policies and legislation are developed around these identities. These words do work in concert with a whole slew of other social and cultural systems to contain people and to make it okay for us as a society to say that, oh, those are just those people over there. If they would just fix themselves, if they would just get more respectable and get their lives together, they wouldn't be seeing all these problems in their lives, right? So there's a way that these words work in a very powerful way to make privilege acceptable, to make racism acceptable, Mm -hmm. to make poverty acceptable, right? And so that we can recuse ourselves. And it's not just white people, right? Or whiteness. We can, as middle-class black folk, Mm -hmm. as people who think that we have good jobs or have degrees, as men, we can sort of walk away from this whole population that we see as somehow designing their own demise. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon, speaking with Fordham professor Amy Cox and Fordham student Juliana Gomez. Can I ask you this, Amy? What's more important, the label a person is defined by or the label that they believe they are? Wow. I guess if you look at the history of, of African African descendants in this country, you would be you would say the label that they believe themselves to be. Right. I mean, I I think this is as we see language constantly morphing and changing. I don't know that we ever get out of this cycle of being labeled by other people. So I don't know if that's ever 
a conundrum that we can remove ourselves from. We're always, and this this goes for all human beings, right? There's always ways that we are labeled, that we are talked about, that, the, that we are defined. There's ways that there are entire narratives that capture what we're supposed to be. That's never really going to change. So with that, I would say, I don't know if I would say what's most important, but what is most potentially transformative is how you think about yourself, right? And then what you do with that knowledge, what you do with that truth of who you are. So how you use that in the way that Giuliani is to really not ignore Ratchet and just, you know, kind of laugh at it and, and keep it moving, but to say, you know what, this this is a phenomenon that has a longer history. And even if the term ratchet goes out of use next month, there'll be another term to yeah. replace it, mm-hmm. right? And that is what we need to pay attention to. So I would say there's always, we are always constantly defined or people try to define us, but what enables us to move beyond that structural barrier and to be truly fully human is our ability to define ourselves. Now, Giuliani, do you find that? Do you find the people that you have interviewed already for your research, do you find that there's a sort of separation from this ratchetness or these ratchet people? Like they don't see themselves in any way connected with it. It's something that they're just the others are as opposed to my group. Yes. The boys that I've interviewed, they define themselves as not ratchet. Um, They said that they would never judge anybody from being ratchet and that they would still associate themselves with somebody that's ratchet but that's not something that they are because it's something that is inherently viewed as negative and um just to point back to what amy was talking about sorry professor cox was talking about (laughs) so weird um just how harmful the term ratchet is and how youth of color latinos and african-americans don't know their history and, you know, don't know the previous, you know, harmful terms and how they are harmful to themselves. So do they have or is there any kind of new term for someone of a, who's not African-American and who's not Latina, um, who might be sexually promiscuous, who might be loud, who might be uh, low? So we, there's not even one there's out there. Not, there's wow. not a specific we know term of. out there. Like um, some terms that were thrown from uh, at me from the people I've interviewed were like possibly white trash or redneck. But like even mm. they said those aren't like proper terms and that's kind of interesting too because why do you separate it by race why can't and i sort of even semi don't agree but do understand the gender separation Mm -hmm. because the idea of being promiscuous has roots in the idea that a woman is supposed to have one husband whereas a husband can have numerous wives depending on your culture however if we're dealing specifically with let's just deal with 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 gender for right now Mm -hmm. amy um and giuliani how is it that these terms seem to be on the backs of black women? I mean, it's something that I feel is on the subconscious level. Like these young men really didn't have to think about what ratchet was and means to them and what it does until I asked them those questions. Yeah, like um, when I was going into the interviews, like, well, first of all, my brother, his friends thought it was kind of stupid. Like, oh, Ratchet, it's probably going to be like a fun interview. We get to show her some memes and laugh at things. But like they really had to sit there and like really divide their thoughts on what Ratchet is on a racialized and sexualized level. And like at the end of the interview, you know, they really told me they're like, wow, you know, like I really didn't realize how racial the term really is. Right. You, yeah. You know wh- where you're going, Giuliani. Mm-hmm. And the question that you ask, Robin, is why is this on the backs of of women of color, particularly 
black women, African-American mm-hmm. women, is a history of the systematic violation of yeah. black women's bodies. We can go back to plantation, you know, chattel slavery and talk about black women's bodies as sites of labor for reproduction and sexual pleasure. African-American women did not own their own bodies. Did not no, own their own bodies. But along with that, there's so many contradictions that emerged during slavery. Right. So particularly around black women. So black women were mules. They were sources of labor, hard labor. They were expected in many cases to work as hard, if not harder than men. But they were also, their bodies were available as sites of sexual pleasure. And so often the way that black women were seen, the way that their bodies were used and treated were in contradiction. And so you see the development of these terms and these tropes that make these violations okay, that try to make sense of these contradictions because they don't make sense. They are contradictions, right? The use of black women's bodies as material labor, as sources of capitalism, as sexual violation, does not make any sense in any real human terms, right? Right. And that's what this language does. I think what is so powerful, if we just step back for a second and think about the power of language that enables us to be blind to the truths that we see in front of us. But it's interesting, even in the face of evidence to the contrary, we still use language that denies what's ha- what the facts of what we're seeing. And that's the power of language. So even though we see something different, we experience something different, the use of the language, the way it takes hold of us, the way that it develops, for example, Ratchet and Ghetto and Welfare Queen take on these lives outside of a reality and then do very real work on how we interact with people. Do you find that happens a lot with, I mean, I don't know if this is a fair question to ask because you are young, but do you find this happens a lot with people in your generation or younger, that there's this acceptance of ideas and labels without necessarily thoughtfulness behind it? Well, why do I think that? Well, why did I just call that girl that name? (laughs) No, definitely. I feel like, you know, we kind of live in an age of like, instant gratification where we just like learn things and we use them without really thinking about them and especially now in this digital age where like ratchet really becomes popular in social media like facebook and instagram and twitter and these young kids this is where they're experiencing or getting to know what ratchet is your title Giuliani, is policing african-american women is this term ratchet also used as a way for young African-American women to police other African-American women. So if I say, oh, Giuliani, all right, calm down, girl, you're getting ratchet. Then you then right there, I'm sort of checking your attitude or I'm checking how you're acting socially. Is that also something that you've discovered in your research? Well, I haven't interviewed women yet, but this is something that like I've encountered, I guess, in my day to day interactions with people. These terms are not only used by people outside of like the African-American or Latino culture. They're used by people within the culture themselves. You know, African-Americans and Latinos who are also part of the African diaspora, they've been brought to this hemisphere hundreds of years ago. So when you're born, you're socialized into this dominant way of thought, which is, you know, kind of waspy, white, Protestant way of thinking. Um, You're kind of taught how to behave in public, which is you're supposed to be, if you're a woman, especially, you have to be reserved. You're not supposed to be loud. You're supposed to be prim and proper. And then what Ratchet does is that it's the complete opposite of the norm. There's consequences for not assimilating. There's consequences for not being normative, Mm -hmm. right? There's very real consequences for that. And they're material, they're economic. You know, you're not able to um, live in certain areas. You can't get certain jobs. And even when you are performing at the highest um, level of respectability, it's still Mm -hmm. likely that you will never be 
um, able to attain many of the mainstream norms of success or markers of success that that white people can right or mainstream white people can and so there is something at stake for performing ratchet or mm-hmm. performing respectability um, or bougie or whatever yeah. you want to call that term there is a policing that happens and it's happened throughout history you know act right you know how you comport yourself how you speak where you live, how you keep your home, regardless of how much money you have, the one thing that you can always control is yourself, your behavior, how you present yourself. But Amy, I have to ask you, why is it bad in a balanced way to assimilate? And the reason why I say that is because I might be dating myself, Mm -hmm. but I've read those books that say, you know, African-American women should be reserved and more masculine or take on male traits to survive in corporate America. But women in general should do that. That's right. Isn't there a book, Lean In? Yes. (laughs) There's a few of them. And I remember reading them when I was, you know, coming up trying to get into the corporate world Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. seeing you never cry. You, you know, you right. never show emotion. And why is it wrong to assimilate in certain areas if it is going to help you well, succeed? I, look, I think there's a couple of things here. I mean, of course, so like the lean in philosophy or how just this sort of politics of respectability. I mean, there's certain things that we have to do um, across race and class and gender in order to make it easier for ourselves. But I think when we put too much emphasis on the individual's ability to assimilate into inherently racist and sexist structures, there's a problem, right? So, of course, if we take on certain behaviors, if we adopt certain attitudes, if we interact in certain ways that are seen as normative, it's always going to be easier. We're always going to have better chances at succeeding in a racist and sexist structure. But to what cost? But to what cost? And my concern is less with, you know, these exceptional individuals or people who have learned how to perform respectability, achieve success, I'd rather consider the ways in which these structures continue historically to play out in our contemporary context, how we continue to see institutionalized racism morph and play out, how we continue to see misogyny and sexism play out through our cultural realms, through our schools. So help me understand that. Break it down. I know you wrote a paper um, where you delved into these issues of identity and socially what happens when you have to take on different personas to be whoever it is you think you need to be to get ahead. Mm -hmm. In your paper, Thugs, Black Divas, and Gendered Aspirations, Amy, explain what you found about identity and how that affected the children or the young women in this homeless shelter in Detroit. So this is a homeless shelter for young women in in Detroit, Michigan. And whenever I say that, people are stunned. Like, what do you mean? They were by themselves. How are these girls living by themselves, but it was truly a homeless shelter for young women at that time between the ages of 15 and 21. Um, Some of them had children, some of them didn't, who were homeless for a variety of reasons. And usually the young women were homeless because they were living in a situation that was overcrowded with a grandmother or an auntie or or their mother. and The house was full of uncles and brothers. And it was typically that young woman who was between the ages of 15 and 18 who was put out of the home. She was seen as the most viable, I would say, survivor. You'll be all right. You're a woman. Someone will take care of you. You're smart. You'll figure it out. What ties to this question of identity in these terms like ratchet and ghetto 
and, and hood rat is this idea that as a society, we always have to protect ourselves from these dangerous or ratchet black girls, but we never protect them. Black girls are seen as, oh, you'll be all right. You'll take care of yourself. Someone will take care of you. Almost as if her body is the way that she'll be able to survive. But what always strikes me when I think about the space of that homeless shelter is the various ways, even in that shelter, that black girls were given these untenable responsibilities that most adults couldn't take on. So, And evidently not necessarily taught what that meant. It, right. They're not telling you, okay, you can use your sexuality, go out and use your sexuality to get ahead. Right. But there's not even, a, like, what does that mean to a young girl? Right, like, and that means exploitation, that means violence, that means a whole host of things that we don't want to think about. Even in the space of, of this shelter where these young women, and imagine this, you are 17 years old, you have three months to find a place to live, to get a job that's going to enable you to stay in that home and to be to get back in school if you're out of school or to be in some sort of educational program. I don't know if I could get it back together in three months, right, with the resources that I have. So right there, and we're talking about Detroit, Michigan, where these young women are sent out on job searches for jobs that don't exist, right? right? And so you have 20 young women in a shelter all getting on the same bus to go to the same falling apart, decrepit mall to walk into the same Forever 21 or the same Cinnabon to apply for a job that isn't there. Why should a middle-aged to older man or maybe woman who's not Latina or African-American, why should they care? These terms are basically part of how humans interact and treat with each other. So just because a person is called ratchet that is outside of your race or ethnicity doesn't mean that it does not affect you. See how you yourself or maybe your family or your children may have used these terms or other terms and how, you know, you interact with people outside of your race, how you treat people. And, you know, like it's it's very easy to say, oh, no, like I don't do this. It doesn't affect me. But even as a middle aged person, you can't just say, oh, this is something. This is a problem of the youth. You as a middle-aged person, as an elder, have a responsibility to teach these youth what is right from wrong. My thanks to Fordham professor Amy Cox and Fordham student Juliana Gomez. And a special thanks to my producer, Alan Canlick. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us. George Bodarkey and Cityscape are next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.